we'll be all right. As long as we can all laugh together and nobody's getting mad and throwing things at me. I learned one thing. I could still catch things if one person's throwing it. When everybody's throwing it, I'm just ducking. So, Isaiah 46. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for this evening. Uh, we ask that you calm our busy minds, help us to focus on the text, help us to understand uh, Isaiah's uh, understanding of Babylon and what's going to happen in the end. But to Isaiah, it was a distant future too. Uh, the duality that's happening here in this chapter. Father, we thank you for this time. Again, we thank you for the warmth of this building. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, okay, here's here's what we're going to look at, and I've got to give a preemptive strike to some things. Uh, for It's like an advertisement since I didn't do it Sunday. Um, Sunday mornings, I think either this Sunday or next Sunday, we're going to be done with the first session's uh, study on the will of man. So I'm going to start an overview of the whole Bible. So if you want to come, it's Sunday morning, first class, or, or if you can't come, listen on the Internet. So in two weeks, we're probably starting uh, a complete, so you can walk, we're going to walk through the whole Bible. And you're going to say, that's going to take forever. Here's my goal. Interview, introduction, maybe a week. And then each week, I'm going to do a book of the Bible. That's it. That's it. And if I don't cover what I need to cover, we're still going to the next book. So 67, 68 weeks. And you should have a good understanding of the whole Bible. Then we'll go back and do a book study on, on Sunday morning, first session. By then, I'll be halfway through the book of Matthew. So we'll be, no, we'll be, we're, we're doing good. Um, I'm excited because I really think I really have been wanting to do this here uh, for a while. Because I want us to get, now look at the whole forest instead of just the trees. So, and I know some of you have come to me about helping your kids and doing stuff with your kids, and this may or may not help. So, with them in here too. So, okay, let's let's read Isaiah 46. Uh, and remember, I, I said, uh, I believe last week, 45, 46, 47 is like a package, and we'll talk about that as soon as I read it. But the three chapters go together, as well as some of the other chapters will now tie together. Remember, we have chapter and verse breaks that are arbitrary. So this is how I'm still I'm still handling it like a chapter though. Uh, verse 1 says, Bel has bowed down, Nebo stoops over. Their images are consigned to the beasts and the cattle. The things that you carry are burdensome. A load for the weary beast. They stooped over. They have bowed down together. They could not rescue the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. You who have been born by me from birth, and have been carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I shall be the same. And even to your graying <clears throat> years, I shall bear you. I have done it, and I shall carry you, and I shall bear you, and I shall deliver you. To whom will you liken me, and make, uh, make me equal, and compare me, that we should be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse, and weigh silver on the scale, hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into God. <clears throat> they bow down. Indeed, they worship it. They lift it up upon the shoulder and carry it. They set it in, in its place and stands there. It does not move from its place, though one may cry to it. To, to, it cannot answer. It cannot deliver him from his distress. Remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn-minded who are far from righteousness. I will bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. And I will grant salvation in Zion and my glory for Israel. So it's a lot of stuff in this chapter. Um, but I want to start off with something a little personally convicting. Uh, and, and I'll bring it around as we do this. Um, I don't always try and say, hey, here's an application, and let's deal with an application. I want to say, here's what it says. 
But I think it's important as we go through this to understand this is dealing with a, a large group of people that have replacement theology. Let me explain what I mean by replacement theology in this context. They've replaced God with something else. And I think sometimes even we as believers replace God with something else. And I think that's dangerous. <clears throat> so as we look through this and read through this, kind of ask yourself, has, has anything I have or anything I do, has it replaced God in my life? And it's, a, it's probably a very pertinent question. In the 20th, uh, 21st century, in the year tw- uh, 2020, I see more things in church that are not church. And you got to understand what I'm saying. Not necessarily here, but in churches in general, if you say, where did they get that from? Is it biblical? What are they doing it for? Why have it? Um, and some of the things I've seen since probably the late 60s, early 70s that have come up that have changed churches. I mean, when I was a kid, you go to a Baptist church, you knew what a Baptist church was, right? I mean, most of us that have been around churches long enough, you go to a Baptist church today, you will not know what you get. Okay? And that's that's... What's, and I'm not knocking the Baptists, so please don't come out of here and say he hates Baptists. No, I hate I hate the diversion from the Word of God and something's replacing God. What's replacing God? Uh, and and I think there's a big movement out there. I think some of the <coughs> guys that call themselves old, the newer Baptist church, the neo-Baptists, you see they have churches with one name now. And it's kind of dumbing people down because saying, oh, you can't remember the name, you know, First Baptist of 6th Street on Bur- you know Bur- Burbank and... In old, you know, old town Georgia or something. You know, they, you can't remember all that, so we'll just name it Journey. You know, we're coming, and I'm not knocking the name. I'm just saying this is what you're seeing. And, and what I see though is a deeper problem. They're replacing God, and I and I think it's a bigger problem than you think. And just think of that in what we call mainline churches. That's happening. What's happening in the world then? Um, and think of that. Uh, and and. Let's ask it a different way. What do we trust in our life more than we trust God? What would happen if such and such happened? Would your trust in God evaporate because your trust in your 401k? We've had a... I, I watch it because I think it's neat to watch the stock market go zoom and then zoom. And, and I can see people say, oh, all my money's gone. All my money's back. All my money's gone. And I was like, what are you doing? Why are you watching that? Go do something, you know. Um, but... It's indicative of where their hearts are at. Um, I, I remember hearing a long time ago from a Bible teacher, if you show me your checkbook, I can tell you where your heart is. And I say, well, that's kind of interesting. I write five bills a month. <laughs> I got to survive, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, but, I mean, some people spend their money lavishly on things because they want to get the, ter- the, the joy of that. Now, there's nothing wrong with things, so please. Um, but do these things bring you to a place of spiritual downfall? I think that's the key to what I'm asking as we get into chapter 46. Because what happened with Israel, they had placed their trust in foreign entities. And God had said, don't do that. The foreign entities uh, made alliance with them, and when you make alliances, at this time they brought in their their foreign gods. Uh, a great great study of that is, is when Babylon takes over and takes the uh, young people out of Israel and basically makes them Chaldeans. They changed their names, changed their education, changed their place, and a really good character study of Daniel and his friends in chapter 1. But what they're doing is trying to amalgamate them in by re-education and teaching them things. And when I was a kid, how many of you went to public school in the 60s and 50s, even 70s, okay? You went to public school, and I remember in public school, they sort of taught evolution. Everybody remember the sort of teaching? And, and they give you numbers like, well, it could might have, might have been, it could have been, it's a theory. I mean, we all heard it was a theory. I know, I remember hearing that. And then I went over to Christian school, and they said, it's not a theory, it's not even on the board, da-da-da-da, but now it's no longer a theory. You know, school teaches it as a, as a science. And you got to ask yourself, where did they get the science from? Well, they're real easy. They dropped the word theory. That's all they did. I mean, when I had textbook, it'd say, you know, it took, you know, I'm just being arbitrary, it took 50 million years to, for the world to evolve. Next year, or a couple of years later, textbook would now say 75 million. Now it just says it just evolved. They don't even give a number because they, I don't know how they can get a number on evolution because there's no such number, right? What's the number? It can't, if it can't happen, there's no number if you don't know anything about math. There's not a number. It's just saying now it's a reality, and they teach it as a fact with no science. 
Anyway, um, there's no science behind creation either. I just believe it because the Bible says it. And I see the effects. You all are here. Right? Evolution would say you all are here, but you'd all be a bunch of different shapes and amoebas and protoplasm, and some of you may still be crawling on your belly because you all couldn't evolve this well without God. Just think about it. I mean, seriously, I know it sounds kind of comical, but think about it. We all evolved pretty well. You know, we, we had a lot of things going for us. Uh, but, or we got a God. And I'm going with that. So, so the reason I say that is because God gave standards and rules to Israel, and Israel didn't think they were that important. They wanted what? Safety, security, temporarily, uh, from their uh, enemies that were around them. Uh, and they placed their trust in nations that were not trustworthy to start with. Um, you could say the same thing today. If Israel places its trust in America, are we trustworthy? For the most part, we've been. We've got a pretty decent track record, but I think it's kind of slowly but surely uh, disappearing. But what if they what if what if they did it in the in the fake Palestinian states and they said we're going to trust these guys? Well, where's their track record? It, none, you know. So we, you know those kind of things. So when when we're talking about Israel and Babylon, uh, we see that Israel failed God. By getting involved in, in idolatry, God's now going to use, not in Isaiah's time, but future Isaiah's time, he's going to use the nation, the empire of Babylon, to discipline Israel. And there's a paradigm, or we could say there's a barrier that God's going to put on how much they can do to Israel. Okay? Um, but we see, from this chapter, what we're going to see is that God's going to discipline Babylon for basically the same reason he disciplines Israel. Because they just won't walk away from their gods, and they trust in their gods. And God, again, like we saw last week, he's going to be very, there's going to be irony and satire built in this, and he's going to be super sarcastic. Because remember, the, the plea we had last week is that what we read 45.22, it says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. That's super emphatic. Um, that mantra is going to be said differently in chapter 46. Okay, so it's going to be reiterated again because he's, now he's going to talk about, he's going to actually name the gods that are in this area. He's, he names a, a Baal or Baal, whichever way you want to say it, and Nebo. Uh, and, and their trust is put in him. And what is the trust in them to do? What will these gods do? And what can we prove they've done? You kind of get what I'm saying? What is their track record? So if you said, here's these gods, whatever the false gods are, and we put names to them, uh, will they, can they produce anything? Or will that just bring the people that worship them to a place of ruin and destruction? And God's going to say, this is going to bring you to ruin and destruction. Because you've trusted in something that is not what I am and who I am. And God takes that uh, very personal. I think I've read the Ten Commandments. The first three are very personal, but how we should treat God and what God makes God very upset. Uh, and I think that's important for us to know. History, uh, if, you, if you go out and look at the history books and say, how did Babylon fall? Which would be pretty good, because I got a set of, of really a wonderful history by a guy named Will Durant. Ever, ever heard of him? It's voluminous. Okay? Um, just one volume will be on, like, Follow Babylon. In there, he will tell you what, what led to its destruction. Never will he mention God's hand was on them and their, their demise was inevitable because God's hand was against them. He doesn't read Isaiah 46. He just goes through the historical facts that the Bible will line up with, but the Bible tells you something those histories won't. Who's really involved? And I think that's important because when we look at the Bible, we're looking at the Bible as a story about God and understanding what God did for man and how man interacted with God, so and so, you know, led to man's redemption and so on and so forth. But um, it's also history, though. It's, it's This narrative flows through all of history. So we're now in the midst of a history uh, thing. Uh, so when we look at this understanding, uh, Israel's identity and ours are wrapped up in what God is doing and how God has dealt with things, and it's about God and nothing else. And I think that's important when we look at Isaiah 46, because what he's saying is, this is what I've done, who I am, I have a track record, it's proven, 
And this is what I will continue to do. And one of the things we could put over chapter 46 is God is sovereign and God is immutable and God is omnipotent. If we keep those three ideas running through this and then compare it to what the deities that they're worshiping are, there's no comparison. It's like go out anywhere in this property, find a rock, call it a Nebo if you want, the Nebo rock, and say this rock I worship and this will do these things that God has done, and you, that rock's not going to do anything unless you do what? Unless you move it and put it from place to place. Um, it, it, it's, it's really uh, interesting because there's a lot of deity worship even today, and those gods don't do anything but stand like, you know, in, in whatever place it's in, and they don't move. They don't do anything. And people pray to them. Uh, I had a game at Bishop Kelly the other day, and the prayer was going fine until this young lady finished this prayer. And she's praying to things that are that praying to things that at one point were humans, but basically looking at a statue and saying these things. I'm going, what are you doing? You just brought that. You 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 had a wonderful prayer about God and protection of these these kids playing ball, and all of a sudden you turned to Mary and John the Baptist. What 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 did I, what did I miss? Uh, and I'm not trying to belittle it, but what I'm saying is they don't realize what they're doing. They're giving, they're giving the credit of God to something else and what God can do. And that just irritates me. There's, you know, there's difference between having no theology and having bad theology. Uh, you know, at some point, you, I get a little irritated at these things. But in the past chapters, what we've seen is the fulfillment of prophecy on Cyrus the Persian. Remember, we talked about Cyrus the last two weeks and how uh, God would use this man in Israel's history. Now we'll see her... Uh, an amazing prophecy concerning Babylon. We're going to see the fall of Babylon. Uh, I have a study Bible, and mine says, the power of God and the powerlessness of idols. But that's not what it's about. It's about the fall of Babylon. We're going to see Babylon's demise. Uh, and again, uh, God's going to say, here's what I've done, here's what these idols have done. And the track record is idols have done what? The scorecard should read, zilch, nada, nil. It, they can't do anything. And a couple of weeks ago, we saw that man made them, man molded them, man formed them out of a tree. What's that doing for you? You know, kind of thing. And that same thing you also use to light your fire and cook your food. Um, it's important for us to see that. And again, this specific prophecy of what's happening here unfolds in Daniel chapter 5. Uh, and also in history about 539 B.C., but it doesn't happen here. Uh, what we do, we'll see here is that the sovereignty of God over his people that he birthed. And the reason I think God has this wonderful language in here, if he births something, he's going to care for it forever. You understand? It's, he's part of the process of birthing a nation, preparing that nation, using that nation. Uh, God, and, and when he's connected intimately with the people of Israel... God and God is their only Savior, and trusting in God as their Savior and Redeemer uh, is is the goal. And trusting in anything else other than God, and I'm saying this for anybody, not the nation of Israel, is absolute emptiness and uselessness. Just think about this, because if you go to anybody and you say, "Well, my religion is this," and say, "Okay, what do you trust in for your salvation?" I mean, that's a simple question, don't you? And most people say, I don't need to be saved, or I don't believe in God, I believe in this because I want nirvana. Well, you're not getting that because you don't have anything that can promise you that. And I believe that because I've read most of the writings out there of certain things, certain groups of people, and they don't have this plan of salvation. They just have plan of what? Oh, you feel good. You know, they stand there and go, mmm, you feel good. Uh, I don't really want need to feel good. I need to know I'm secure for eternity, right? Feeling good is all what usually temporary anyway. Until you wake up in the morning and say, "Man, I see where the floor is, but it's far away." <laughs> um, again, in chapter 45, we had seen that uh, that what was shown to Israel was that they would have uh, what would sovereignly happen to Israel. In chapter 46, we will now see what God shows to Israel. What will sovereignly happen to Babylon? So they get both sides of the picture kind of thing. So again, that's why they kind of go together. Uh, and, if, and a behind-the-scenes look, if you will, is what we see within chapter 45 and 46, which, which point us to what God is going to do. Uh, the sovereign God is going to show that he will destroy completely Babylon. So therefore, 
whatever God has done in the past has only been a, a shadow of what is to come because I checked my map this morning to make sure this lesson was still good and Iraq is still on the map. And that's the area God is aiming at is Iraq. That's, that's the Babylon of the Bible. Uh, some people will say, well, it's, you know, it's this and it's the Lady of Rome and therefore it's the Roman Catholic Church. No, it's Babylon. Okay, I, I'm one of those weird people. If God's talking to Israel in this in this Isaiah, book of Isaiah 700, 750 BC, um, He's not going to say, "Oh, God, well, we're talking about Russia." What, what would I? What would Israel know of Russia back then? Nothing. How about us? Nothing. Now we can say we're included in the Bible in Nate in the word nations. Maybe I'm good with that. But God's not specifying America, Great Britain, Russia. I don't think so. And those that say, well, Russia's the force from the north, I look at the north of Israel and there's a bigger force that's more dynamic to the, the flow of biblical history. It's called a place called Turkey. Just think about that for a minute, okay? And that's closer north and Israel would have known that. And if you don't, if you all remember this, the, the, the churches of Revelation were in that area. So God didn't wander that far north to worry about Russia at that time. doesn't mean Russia is not going to be involved, but God's aim in this chapter is the, is the Babylon of old, which has to do with Iraq and those kind of uh, people that are in, in that area. And, and, and at the same time, he's going to destroy and com- completely destroy Babylon. He will also save and deliver Israel. And there's nothing anyone can do to prevent or stop it from occurring. The pro- problem is when. That's all. Because it hasn't happened now. And I'm not one of those people who say, well, sit back and watch. Because I don't think I'm going to be here. Or you, if you're a believer. So we're going to be watching, but we're going to have really good seats. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Uh, and um, I, I think the secondary question I put in, here in my notes for us to kind of focus in this, this evening is also, who, are, who, who to God are the wise people of the world? And the wise people, it's so simple... It's not just, it has nothing to do with your IQ or how, you know, how you handle life and the skill of life, which does have to do with, with wisdom. But this is, to, I'm more to aiming at is, can you trust God? Not only have you trusted God, but can you trust God? And that's really hard because we're going to go through certain things in life and it's going to be really hard to trust sometimes because you say, all I see is the immediate crisis. And that's hard. I know that. And, but, but here's what he's saying is, trust me. Trust me. Uh, uh, those who believe in Jesus Christ and receive his righteousness, those who, who spend their lives in pursuit of possessions, who pursue things of life without God, are not wise. So those who have Jesus Christ, receive Jesus Christ, have his righteousness, wise people. Those who pursue things of life, who have invested in idolatrous things. Now, i got to make sure I under, you hear me clear. It doesn't mean you don't have a bank account. It doesn't mean you don't invest things and you're wise with your money. That's fine. But do you worship them? There's a, big, there's a world of difference. Do you understand? You know? Um, I'm, I'm the firm mentality. I entered life with no pockets. I'm leaving with no pockets. You kind of get what I'm saying? Now, do I have things in my pocket? Well, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> i got a wallet. Uh, but it doesn't mean we don't take care and be good stewards of the things God's given us. You, know, you understand the dichotomy in that, okay? But at the same time, don't go to the point that that's, that's your world. You kind of get the difference. And, and uh, we who see who God is and, can, and that he can be trusted as he only can predict the future, then what he's seeing here is he predicts the future, but he also not only predicts the future, he's going to fulfill the future. And I think that's the neatest thing. Because when we talk about God, it's not like, oh, God said this and this will happen, but we've got to be moving along to make sure it happens. God's going to say, this is going to happen, and I'll make it happen. You kind of get the difference? And I, I think that's important. Uh, and again, I think, I think it's good. As we look at this chapter, though, I'm going to, I'm going to show you four, four points that uh, involve each other. Isaiah will make, uh, will make them. Uh, as, as we look at Isaiah, we will see this as predictive prophecy. Some of it is near to Isaiah's time because we'll get a small picture of it, but most of it's years away. Um, and we have to remember these things, these three entities that were being dealt with. Cyrus is still involved, who's chapter 45. In chapter 46, we're going to talk about the gods 
of Babylon. And in chapter 47, we'll talk about the empire of Babylon. What we see, though, is Babylon falls. Now, remember, Babylon at Isaiah's time of this writing was a growing empire. The Assyrians were much bigger, but Babylon was rising. Uh, they were about they were about a hundred years away from wiping out the Assyrian Empire and they taking over. Isaiah didn't live to see that, but that's what will happen. Uh, and when Babylon rises within 70 years, and that prophecy is told that 70 years they will hold Israel in captivity. After 70 years are up, then the Persians rise uh, via Cyrus and take over and destroy the Babylonians. Uh, and, and at the whole time, the whole time Israel, can, and even to today we could say this, God has protected Israel. Simply, now, you've got to hear what I'm going to say because I think this is important. When we say God has protected Israel and then Israel's gone through horrific atrocities, in the same sentence it's hard to understand. But Israel has never been wiped out. And they could have easily been wiped out multiple times since the time of Isaiah, at least. Uh, and we've seen even the hand of God on simple things. Survival of one king in the times of King, king David. The survival of Christ when uh, Herod goes in to wipe out all the children. I mean, there's just things that have happened that God has uh, prevented at the same time sovereignly controlled. Kind of get what's going on? So, um, so the question we now have to ask, since Babylon is so uh, God-happy, Small God, little g, happy. Can those gods save the, save Babylon? Uh, and the answer is uh, no. They are unable to bear them up. And we will see that. Uh, uh, so let me give you an outline real quick of chapter 46. And you don't have to write it down because we're going to go through it. I just want you to get a feel for chapter 46. We're going to see Babylon's gods need to be carried. Now, that's, to, to me, that's one of the funniest lines in this whole... Where are you going? Oh, I'm going such and such a place. But before I go, i got to carry, you know, pack up my gods. What? Uh, Yahweh's people are borne up by him. In other words, God's people are carried by him. I like that. That's like the old footprints uh, poet poetry. Uh, then there's going to be, a, that's verses 3 and 4. Then the question which will challenge all is in verses 5 through 7. And the challenge that needs to be answered in 8 through 13. And that's basically where we're going with this. Uh, let me just tell you two real quick facts about the two gods mentioned in verse 1. Baal. Baal, uh, or Bel, it depends on how you want to say it, because Bel is the same thing as Baal of uh, history. Uh, it's just, that's this Babylonian name is Bel. And, and Bel is also known as Marduk. Most of these gods have multiple names, because why? Different civilizations are worshiping them. For instance, Bel is the god of the sun. Anybody know what the Egyptian god of the sun is? Test, test, test. Ra. Ra. There you go, Ra. So, I mean, still the same. It's not the same god because they're not gods. Just different names for, for, for gods. Um, and Nebo is the son of Marduk. Remember, this is goofy stuff. And was the god of learning, writing, and astronomy. So, Bel's, te- Bel's temple, Bel's temple... Uh, was in Babylon. Nebo's temple was three hours south of Babylon. Uh, the Babylonians were uh, had various images of these gods and other false gods throughout their kingdom. Uh, they ranged in, you know, pocket size to 18 foot obelisks. You know, the huge things. So can you imagine? Okay, we're leaving, and you're telling your honey, honey, pack up the gods, throw them on the camel. I want you to get a vision of this. So you throw the, the, the small packages of the shelf, what do we call them, the, the Iggy's for the car, you know, those little statues. Put them there and throw the obelisk on the camel. And the camel's got to, you know, hold this thing that's tottering. Or, I don't know, I don't know if you could put it straight up because logistics are horrible. But you, they're carrying the gods. And you go, we got a camel just for that. <laughs> it's like, what? Can't we just destroy those things and make more? Because they haven't done anything this whole time they've been there. <laughs> um, but here, now understand this. Israel's in a region, and still is in that region, where they remain and maintained their monotheistic understanding as a whole. They were involved in idolatry, I know that, but as a whole, they, they were to be monotheistic. Yet all other nations were always polytheistic. And poly means many. 
let your mind... Um, I remember having a class, I think 7th or 8th grade, on, e- on Egyptian and Greek mythology. And you had to memorize all these gods and all this stuff. And I go, why am I doing this? I don't care. You know, Oh, to pass the class or my dad gets mad. <laughs> you know, but you, you rem- I'm sure some of you may have had these classes on Greek mythology or Roman mythology or some mythology. Uh, and how, you know, how kind of goofy the whole thing was. And they, and they make TV shows of how they marry some human and make this demigod and, and all this stuff. It's all fun and, you know, but it's all, it's all false, the whole thing. Um, it's interesting. I, I was thinking of different things to call this chapter. And I, ca- I called it bearing or born. Which do you choose? Bearing or born? Um, either, either you create your God and carry him from place to place, or God bears you up. What's your choice? Now, right away, you can see the sarcasm. Because um, if you're carrying your God, just think about it for a minute. You know, I have never seen, and this is going to sound really bad, but I'm going to say it anyway. In South Florida, everybody, we used to have, we used to joke, everybody had dashboard Jesus. Everybody knows what dashboard Jesus is, right? Never seen dashboard Jesus protect anybody from a wreck. Just doesn't happen. He usually survives because he's like an inch tall, but <laughs> you know. Uh, but that's that's the thing. So let's look at verses one and two, where Babylon needs to carry their gods, uh, and and it's unique because this is the very few places that we see Isaiah's naming the Babylonian gods by name. How often does Isaiah mention God by name? Kind of get that understanding because naming a god kind of supposed to make him personal. How do you make a, a piece of wood or something personal? Uh, and prior to this time, prior to chapter 46, Isaiah has shown the gods of, of all these foreign nations to be uh, the, uh, ridiculed, weak, insufficient, man-made, powerless, unable to speak, and cannot deliver you. And what he shows here is the same thing. He says, uh, uh, it's interesting because most people were named after the gods. And when we see Daniel and his friends go in, Daniel's name is changed uh, to Balthazar, which is Bel. Uh, Abednego is, char- is changed to uh, servant. His name means servant of Nebo. So, I mean, it's all about the gods. Uh, which is interesting. Israel's name, Daniel, El, was named after God. Ezekiel, named after Jeremiah. The, those are all, these are all guys that were named after God. The God. So it's a, it's a battle. Change your uh, affiliation. It starts to. It's can you waver? Uh, notice what it says here, though. It's it's interesting. In verse one, it says their images were consigned to the beast and the cattle. Now that's pretty lowly. And the reason I say that is because could you imagine God be assigned to a you know an ox? God's got to be born up by an ox. And enough of you may know about different religions in the world. Right now we're being held up by an elephant on a turtle's back. Right? The Hindus believe that. Anybody remember that, right? How's that working out? Uh, uh, doing pretty good so far. That turtle's barren under. I just can't imagine the size of that turtle. But uh, but it's, how did they come up with this? Well, if you take God out of the formula, they got to make up something that sounds good. Uh and it, these things are horrible. Uh, these gods, but notice what it says, these gods, it says, these things that you carry are burdensome. That's interesting, because burdensome means a, they're a load to carry. They couldn't carry themselves. Can we say the God of all creation is a load to carry? So you understand the extremes that are going on in these chapters, in this chapter. Uh, you put your God in a camel uh, and, and say... Um, you bear up my God. So it really makes the camel greater than the God because the camel's bearing the God. Get the picture? Uh, or whatever, the ox, the uh, whatever's doing the bearing. And notice what it says here in the terminology, that Baal bowed down and Nebo stoops over. And this is key because these gods could do nothing on their own, um, but if they did that, they had to have somebody actually tip them over. Just think about that for a minute. Uh, so by saying this, 
it, by, the, the, by them, verse 2, but they stooped over and they have bowed down together. They, they could not escape the burden. They themselves have gone into captivity. So the gods themselves are in captivity. Why? Because they're not gods at all and they're, they're, they're uh, allotted that space that they have. Whatever you, size you make your god, that's how big your god is. And I think a lot of believers sometimes have a god that's too small because our god doesn't have a size. So you get the extremes that's being presented here. Uh, and I think that's important for us to see. So that pretty much gives us a, a, a picture of the God's need to be carried. In, in, in verses 3 and 4, we see that Yahweh's people will be born by him alone. So in the past, in verse 3, it says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. You who have been, been born by me from birth. Now think of this. From the moment they were create, uh, established, I think it's going to be a better word for us to use. Uh, back in Deuteronomy 7, God called them out, Abraham, out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. The, from the moment of that, God was bearing them up. How did they survive? And if you look at the extremes they went through, even in their beginnings, and then going into Egypt, that only God could have uh, borne them or held them together. And he says, at the end of that verse, he says, and who have been carried from the womb. That means the moment they were conceived in God's thinking... God carried them. God supported them. They didn't need that. And a good picture of that is, again, going back to the Exodus. What did they do to get out? Nothing, because God sent plagues. The only thing they were asked to do to show their faith was to paint the doorpost with the blood of the Lamb so God knew who not to uh, annihilate that night. Okay? But, you know, God did everything uh, and, and brought those plagues on. It's important for us to see that. And here's why. Here's what's important. If God has a past that we can establish that's a solid past and prove his integrity and prove his pattern, and since God is, again, what did he say at the beginning? Immutable. He doesn't change. Why would God do something different today? Kind of get what I'm saying? His pattern has been uh, Made and, and we can and we could draw absolute conclusions that God has had this pattern because we have the historical record of what God has done. In verse four, He says, "Even it, to your old age, I have I shall be the same." In other words, as old as you get, and guess what? God's being a little sarcastic here, and I'm going to tell you why. Because in my old age, I'm not the same as I was when I was younger. So I have changed. Anybody here changed? We have changelings, okay? Um, we did something at practice the other day, and somebody says, you need to help do this. And I go, nope, I'm not that young anymore. I went to, I went to a doctor today, and he said, yesterday, and he says, can you do a treadmill test because he wants me to do a heart thing? And I go, uh, no. No. <laughs> he goes, why not? Past that. Now, it's 15. I could have done that. He said, but you didn't need it at 15, Okay. The reason I'm saying this is because God's being sarcastic. He goes, you change. But I still, even as you change, I'm the same. I've never changed. Never changed. And I think that's kind of cool. Uh, and for us to understand how that's established. Because if God's still the same, that means God still carries Israel, still bears her up, and still will deliver her. And these two words that are important that has to do with carries and delivers. The word for carries is we use a lot here in this nation. The word NASA for our rocket and space industry is a Hebrew word that means to lift up, <laughs> take up, hopefully blast off. <laughs> okay, but you get the idea. Something's got to hold hold them up. So when God says, "I carry you," the power it takes to carry them. So I think that's important there. And uh, the word deliver basically means to rescue, to save, to escape, to deliver. So God. Remains the same. He has borne them up. He's lifted them up. He's, he's carried them along. And he's always delivered them. He's always been there, there as their Savior. And we can add that word Redeemer in there too. No, no problem with that. Uh, therefore, because of this, see how Israel has failed? Because of this, they should have known God never fails. God is always delivered. God is true to his word. Why can't they trust him? And they didn't trust him. You see the failure? Because to any nation, it should have been totally obvious what the God of all creation was like. Um, 
and God doesn't change. So kind of do this. In your graying years, you're changing, but God never does. And God keeps his word. And I think that's real important here as we look at that. Uh, because we can say these certain things. So when we, when we apply this to us, here's another step of application. God takes care of me yesterday as well as he will today and as well as he will tomorrow. There's absolute assurance because God never changes. And we could look back and say, Here's, I've gotten, you know, these things have happened or these things have occurred and God's got me through that. I don't know how. I survived that and survived this and God's got me through. And guess what? Today, God will get me through and deal with certain things. And tomorrow, He's still there. And I said a prayer today, to be honest with you, because i got a lot of things to do tomorrow. I don't know if I can even, I will even know what happens tomorrow. It's going to be, and I said, Lord, you got me through yesterday's. You got me through so far today. I know tomorrow is just going to be a piece of cake. It's going to be much easier than I thought it was. It's just as easy as that. I know it, it's easy to say it, but you know something? It's hip to him. And, I, and I'll be honest, because I'm like this. If I fail, he failed. Do you understand? Because I'm trusting him. Okay? And he doesn't what? Fail. And when we think about God, who is comparable to God? Just let me ask you this. Who... Is comparable to God because that's what's being asked here in verses five through seven. He's asking the question: To whom would you liken me? In other words, if you're going to pair me to, as God of all creation, the God of whatever, however you want to characterize God, and say, "Who am I comparable to?" Name them. Fill in the blank. And the answer is going to be always the same: Nobody. No one's like God. Then he says, uh, "And make me equal and compare me that we should be alike." This is why it's so um, egregious when Jesus says, I and the Father are one. We're the equal. We're same. He's basically taking, saying that I am the one that claims that I am equal to God. I am God. And, and oh, no, no. Well, all of a sudden the Jews got self-righteous because they said, no, they can't be. You're blasphemous. And wait a second. You've been idolatrous. You know, so it, it's kind of interesting here because Jesus does make that claim. Uh, and these, here's the interesting thing. We've got to read these like they're being asked. They're not ask, asking them to be answered. The answer is obvious. That's rhetorical, right? We can't say, okay, God, let me, give, me, give me a minute. Let me think. Who are you comparable to? Hmm. I'm going through my checklist. Give me a minute. God, it's, not, it's not that. It's, there is no answer to this other than God. It's God, nobody, okay? Um, Verse 6 says, Those who lavish gold from the, from the purse and weigh silver on the scale hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. They bow down, indeed, they worship it. That's, that's pretty sad. If you, if you choose to say the idols of the world compare to God, here's your option. Go find some gold, weigh it out, shape it into God, and see if it's enough that has the same worth. Remember, we worship God. What's his worth? And what's the idol's worth? And you can put a market value on an idol. It's just easy. I, I thought the funniest thing I did was when I went to Washington, D.C., and they're selling things in government buildings. I'm reading about bio. Maybe this is why what's going on. On the bottom, it said, Made in China. Does anybody see this? the, the humor in that, or is it just me? They're selling a, a Lincoln penny for $5.69. It's a penny. So we can find things that the government even does to, to be exorbitant about to sell things and make money. And all they're doing is saying, this can be, a price can be put on this. What's the price you put on God? Okay, verse 7 says, they, they lift up upon the shoulder and carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. So we can see this is again, uh, though they may cry out to it, it can't answer. In other words, oh dear Baal, please help me through this. What's the answer going to get? Sorry, the number you've called has been disconnected. <laughs> You're not getting an answer. Um, it cannot deliver them from, from uh, his distress. So again, can God do these things? And the answer is real easy. Yes, God does. Uh, it's interesting. Um, just for a minute, just think about this. They're going to take money and take it out of their pocket bid for a contractor to make and construct a god of their figuring, or shaping, dimensions, plan that they're going to, they want him to make, and then they will get on their knees before it. What? Do you not see the 
the irony in that whole thing, the, the satire. Because uh, here's the interesting thing. God has created man to worship. God has created man to worship. So man will find something to worship. And if he says no to God because he's a fool, I read that in my Bible, if he said no to God and he becomes a fool, what's he going to worship? He's got to worship something. So an atheist will worship what? Himself. I'm my own God. I'm free to do whatever. But he's still worshiping. And his worship is false. His trust and his deliverance and his salvation is in himself. And we could go through this through anybody that trusts in anything other than God. We could go right through it. Uh, and think this. He chooses to worship himself. Because if anything is idolatry, is himself. Because why? He's come up with the plan, the design, the structure. And he's worshiping himself. He becomes the image maker. He becomes the modeler, the molder of idols. He makes something in his image. After his thinking, he carries it from the place he wants it to the place he wants it, sets it on the shelf, sets it on the floor, sets it wherever he wants it. Uh, the idol says nothing, does nothing, doesn't say you put me in the wrong place, you knucklehead. Uh, yet man chooses that, that, that what he needs in this God is he carries it everywhere to worship that is a true God, and the true God is in, in, incomparable to any. Why would you do this? And that shows the uh, amount of absurdity man will go to to erase the true God out of their understanding, uh, thereby putting himself on a shrine, in, a, in a shrine. Uh, so verse seven basically gives you a flow of futility of worshiping gods. The idols are burdensome. The idols have to be placed somewhere. The idols sit there. The idols sit there. The idols sit there. You get what I'm saying? Unless you pick it up, it's gonna. What, what I say? It sits there. They will not answer. They will not come up with a plan to deliver. They will not. They will not find your distress important enough to make a move. <laughs> Sorry, they just sit there. Uh, and the end factor is they just sit there. And I think that's pretty interesting. So the challenge that we need to answer here in verse 44, uh, 8 through 13. It's pretty simplistic. Remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, and you, uh, you transgressors. Remember the form of things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. So this is beautiful poetry that God says, this is who I am. You have profaned me, but do you realize who I am? So he says, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things which have not been done. So basically, he's forecast the future. How about idols? How are we doing on this? What's their score? Never done it. Say, uh, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. That means God will bring it across what he has desired and it will be accomplished because he will accomplish it in spite of man. Calling the, uh, the bird of prey from the east, and I, and I believe this is a great way to refer to Babylon as the bird of prey from the east, uh, right now they're just a sitting duck. Somebody will get that. Sooner or later they're going to rise though. And the, the man of my purpose from a far country and his purpose again was in a, in a man was, was Cyrus. Truly I have spoken and truly I will bring to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. In other words, if I planned it and I've said it, it'll get done. Can we trust that? Does God have a good track record? And I say, our eyes say, yes. So the challenge that needs to be answered is, does God have the ability to say, do what he says he's going to do? And if we say yes, leave it at that. Trust him. And, uh, and he's got a key word here in verses 12 and 13. Listen to me, you stubborn-minded who are far from righteousness. In other words, if you want to keep worshiping your idols, and you want to be stubborn about what you think is right, and you want to believe that, that's a word of warning. Okay? I bring, I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. And my salvation will not delay. And I will grant salvation to Zion and my glory for Israel. In other words, my plan is going into action. It will be full tilt. And it's sometime in the future, Israel will get the glory they're supposed to. And if Israel gets the glory that God says is for them, nations will be punished. And they'll be uh, again, great judgment that will come throughout the tribulation 
throughout the millennium, as Israel is brought to that place of glory, even Israel will be dealt with. But God says, when that all runs out, when our plan runs out, you're in deep trouble because judgment comes. And that's what it's saying. Um, and it all falls on this. It all falls on this. God is a God of his word. His word is his integrity. So we have a written document that says, this is what I swear I will do. And God's going to either do it or not do it, but he has set the record that he has always done what he says. It's just a matter of when he's going to do what he's going to say. It's not if. It's not if. Um, and I see more and more things lining up for when it happens, okay? And I love this idea uh, where he says transgressors here. In ver- Back up just for one second. In verse 8 where he talks about transgressors. Th- those are the rebels. I think the key for understanding what a sinner is, they're a rebel. And they remain a rebel. And when God's addressing this, he's addressing people that have refused to come to him as rebels. So there's warfare. You understand what rebels are, right? They bring up warfare. They have coups. They want to take over. And if we know our uh, future uh, predictive prophecy, we know that there will be a rebellion that rises against God that establishes itself with the Antichrist, right? And Satan himself that rises against God. So you see the the, uh, treadmarks there of rebellion. It also says in verse 12, you stubborn-minded. I don't know how the the New American Standard came up with stubborn-minded. Because the word basically means uh, obstinate of heart. Which, again, I understand a little bit because heart is never this thing in your chest. It's it's your seat, seat of thought. But think what he's calling them. He's calling them rebels, and in their heart, their mind, they are so obstinate, they won't change. You ever known anybody that says, that are so set in their way, you say, I don't know what I can say to this person for them to change. And all of a sudden, God works on them, and they say, they come, and years later, you come up, and they say, oh, I'm a believer in Christ. You go, what? What? <laughs> that had to be one of the greatest, let me, miracle, Okay. And I think that's wonderful, but what's happening here, these people have set a pattern of being uh, rebellious and, and, and strong-willed and strong-minded about and obstinate in the mind. And, and this is dealing, real, remember, 46 is not dealing with Israel, even though it sounds very much about Israel. It's dealing with the Babylonians. Uh, we, we've dealt enough with them, and we'll see later in 48 following how God will deal with them. We're going to close in prayer, but I want to just tell you next week, read 47. We're going to talk about the fall of Babylon in 47. Uh, so read ahead. Uh, it's when the gods of Babylon fall. So God's going to destroy the gods of Babylon. And I really believe uh, we're going to be talking about what's happening in world history today with Iraq a little bit. So um, even though Iran is more in the picture, it's really about Babylon. So, Father, we thank you for this time. Again, a wonderful privilege to open up the Word of God to see what you have said and continually have said and the promises you've kept in the, the formation of a nation that you've borne up and that you've, your plan has run through. And Father, without the nation of Israel, your plan would have been forfeited years ago. And we thank you for the seed that came through the nation of Israel, the very Messiah that we trust in today and that one day he's returning and and prayerfully soon. Father, we thank you for these words of Isaiah. In Jesus' name, amen.